0: Hello everyone and welcome to the very 53rd episode of Octothorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon and you may be able to tell that my voice is slightly different to usual and that's because I have managed to catch Covid in the same week that I moved house which is just 10 out of 10 planning on my part. I think I have absolutely nailed it. As a result, we're dropping this little mini episode to keep you all tidied over until we release a proper episode again a fortnight Today. And um, this is the chat we had when we were answering Cora Bulett's questions about our fancast. And we linked to that post on her blog. And this is the chat we had that went into answering those questions. Um, So I hope people enjoy it and we'll see you all in a fortnight's time. Tell us about your podcast or channel.
1: It was John's idea. Octothorpe has a tagline the podcast of science fiction and science fiction fandom and we do talk about science fiction a fair amount but we do talk a lot about fandom about upcoming conventions about things that fans do and that is I think where our heart is and we also have a very engaged community who write in and tell us what they think about all of these things and we are very pleased about that
0: yeah so I think we could probably do like the first three questions because the other ones are who are the people behind it and why did you decide to start? So I think I think so I I decided to start a podcast and I recorded I actually recorded a pilot episode of a podcast with Meg Frank back in 2013, which never um, never actually made it.
1: That's a long time ago.
0: I knew I wanted it to be about fandom and I knew I wanted it to be in the style of the Apple tech podcasts that I love and I eventually discovered that Alison also loves the Apple tech podcasts that I love and so I said to Alison do you want to be on a podcast because you're quite loud and then I knew that Liz was a good egg and I wasn't talking to Liz as much because she had gone to Thailand and I was like Liz is good she's more sensible than me and Alison she has more reasonable opinions and she will be a good moderating influence on the two of us and so I asked Liz
1: How did that work out for you?
0: I think it's gone very well and maybe I was just ruminating I went down to get my water and I was thinking that was a really good episode I really like talking to Alison and Liz every two weeks and I really like getting to listen to it again when I edit it and they made me laugh and I very much enjoy I very much enjoy my Sunday mornings. And um, yes, so I think it is good.
1: I have been wanting to do a podcast ever since the very beginning of podcasts. Um, but it turned out that if you want to do a podcast, you have to find someone who's dumb enough to do the editing for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Because otherwise podcasts don't happen. They So if you want to run a, your own podcast, the core thing you need is somebody who's up for doing the editing which is significantly more work than recording the podcast it doesn't take longer but it's it's um it's it's just not as much fun once you
0: get into a swing of it i think it takes roughly twice as much time as the recording length for the style of editing i do um so it takes me about three hours probably to edit each episode liz tell us about your deep-seated longing to be on a podcast
2: I didn't have any desire to be in a podcast or to start a podcast or really to do any work around podcasts. But John was like, do you want to do a podcast? And I think I was like, "Mm, maybe. And, and And then there was a coronavirus. And so it's like, well, now I literally have nothing else that I need to be doing on a Sunday afternoon. So let's do a podcast. And I am just constantly amazed that we have made it to 42 episodes and that there appear to be at least 10 people actually listening.
1: I, one of the things it says is what format, and I would quite like to speak to that one, so.
0: Yeah, go for it, Alison. Why do we do this format?
1: What format did you choose for your podcast or channel, and why did you choose this format? So there are quite a lot of podcasts out there for science fiction in particular, and none of them quite did what I liked in terms of the sort of podcast I like to listen to, because it, John mentioned Apple Podcasts and indeed they're Apple Podcasts, but they are podcasts where a bunch of mates get together every so often and chew the fat about current things going on in the area they're interested in. And those are the sorts of podcasts I like. And none of the None of the science fiction podcasts were quite doing that, and critically, the sort of podcast this isn't it's not really an interview podcast. So, a lot of podcasts involve the host interviewing different people each week. So, it's not that sort of podcast. It's the sort of podcast where people chat about things. It is explicitly modelled on a couple of Apple tech podcasts, except unlike those podcasts, there are women on this one.
0: <laughs> that was that was definitely something I did also want to make sure I did. I did not want to be another white dude podcast, um, I think there are probably enough of those already. And, and one of the things, one of the things I really loved about that style of podcast was how discussive it was, and I thought that really tied into the letters of comment from kind of old school fanzine fandom. And so that was kind of one of the reasons I, why I thought the format would work in a fanish context was that I thought it actually harked back to fan writing in an older sense. And I didn't really think it was something that was happening in fanish in podcasting. Um, so yeah. The fan categories at the Hugos were there at the very beginning, but they are also the categories which consistently get the lowest number of votes and nominations. So why do you think fanzines, casts, and other fan products are important? Alison probably has the strongest opinions.
1: I'm a fan of science fiction fandom as much as I am a fan of science fiction. If I look at my reading and my watching, some of it is genre, as much of it is not. But if I look at the people I choose to spend time with, they're science fiction fans, that it's actually the community of fandom that I find so valuable. And the thing about, fan cu- about fanzines, about fan writing, about fan casts, it's very much at the forefront of what they're doing, that they are actually celebrating the thoughts of the people who like this stuff, which is the stuff that I found interesting. That's um, why I'm, whenever I'm looking at conventions, I'm like, let's talk about how we manage all the things that aren't the programme, <laughs> how we how we make sure that the social spaces are engineered right, because it's the social interactions between fans that are what I'm here for. Um, this is what is known traditionally as being a fake fan.
0: That is fair.
1: That had scare quotes on it, by the way.
0: <laughs> Fair enough,
1: because obviously it's the most real fandom of all. Yeah, I think, and
0: I think like I got into fandom largely through kind of Nine, but also like one of the early fandoms I was in was Fanzine fandom. So I think for me it kind of was just how I came into fandom to a large extent. So I think that's probably why I think. It's important it's just it's where I came from when I wrote a fanzine between two thousand seven and two thousand fourteen ish called procrastinations, which I've recently published a new issue of, and so yeah I, I think it it's I always liked and I like reading blogs and stuff as well, and I like reading kind of twitter and facebook as as fan writing has evolved, I have enjoyed interacting with it.
2: I want to say two things which is. Oh, I think it's very nice that the Hugos from the start have rewarded kind of fan endeavors alongside the professional ones. And I think it's nice to have them there also so that people who maybe are not as familiar with fandom might at some point look at the list of Hugo winners and go, oh, fanzines, casts, maybe I should check some of these out. Um, but also, I think as long as there is a vibrant community, I'm not particularly bothered if they get fewer votes and nominations than other categories. I mean, I think it's nice that they're there for people, but I don't necessarily worry that there aren't as many people nominating for Best Fanzine as there are for Best Novel or Best Short Story. I think they are just aiming at a slightly niche segment of fandom. I don't want it to get too low because I, I do want like the Hugos to be to maintain some prestige. And I think if you get to a point where you know you only need five nominations to get on the ballot, then that is too low. I mean, there is there is a built-in thing in the Hugo rules, that if the, if the number of votes ever drops too low, that there will, will be, you know, no award in that category. So I think there is that built in at least, so that it never falls below a certain threshold. And I, I do want to see it kind of, you know, maintain a good level of interest, but I'm not necessarily bothered that it's, that it's lower than it is in some of the other categories. I'm going to make that sound snappier when I edit it. That's a good thing.
0: In the last 20 years, fanzines have increasingly moved online and fancasts have sprung up. What do you think the future of fan media looks like? I have opinions on this, uh, as as some people may know. One of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast was because I thought that the so- style of fanzine I quite like with the focus on fandom is something that I feel like hasn't really made the jump to more modern media, which is a problem for me because I enjoy more modern media. And I completely respect there are fanzine fans who are like very into their printed materials and PDFs, but like as someone who enjoys that style of writing but enjoys more modern forms quite like some of it to be available in those more modern forms and so i do three fanzines one of which is um i experimented with kind of doing epubs and stuff fairly early on and now is a blog one is an email newsletter and the other is a podcast and i think especially email newsletters are currently blowing up with substack and stuff there's a lot of good fan writing you can get like delivered to you now I think the future is going to be in kind of using these new technologies that come up, stuff like email newsletters, which are very old in some ways, but have had a renaissance. And I think people have noticed that this is actually a fantastic way of doing it, Um, but also using stuff like WordPress and using kind of YouTube and podcast platforms to do this stuff will be very popular in the future. And that's where, because I'm trying to skate to where I think the buck is heading, and that's been what I've been trying to do in my fan act throughout
1: so I think the last twenty years have seen a massive fragmentation of of the sort of fandom I like, um, which people bemoan quite a bit. But um, but um, one of the problems is that I don't think the most of the older fans who were used to doing paper fanzines have found it very easy to engage with with the more modern things. I also think there's a problem with so the thing about paper fanzines is that you can pick up a paper fanzine from many years ago. Say, on a table at a convention, and you're suddenly transported into the life of these people and a lot of the things we've been using now for our fanish links and communications have been much le- much more ephemeral than fanzines, so it would be quite nice to have some things that are not so ephemeral now people may decide in the future why would anybody listen to a podcast from twenty twenty one but they might not. Alternatively, they might go, oh, what were people thinking? What were they saying? People did go back and listen to some of the earlier ep- episodes of Octthorpe before this Easter and were like, oh, apparently you have been bleating on about this for a year. So, you know, there, there's something about what, what fa- old time fanzine fans call time binding, about making things that have a degree of permanence. And I'm slightly struggling. I, I too, have an an email newsletter, which is not getting around to doing its third issue at the moment but it will do quite soon and one of the reasons it's not is that it had a I wanted to put a lot of links in in the first two and I did and then I realized that links start rotting immediately so you immediately lose the permanence of your item and I'm, I'm thinking about what more I can do about that to to keep a sense of, of permanence about the stuff that I do I want that in the future in the event anyone cares there will be something there for them to care about
2: Yes, I think what I've noticed is maybe it's not coming, it's not coming, I think, out of the sort of more traditional historical fanzine fans, but there's a lot of people on YouTube talking about books and a lot of them have pretty big audiences and a lot of viewership and there's definitely kind of an audience out there and I wonder if more and more will sort of drift towards that video model. Booktube, they call
1: it. It's basically Booktube, yes. That's not for Cora who knows this perfectly well, but for our listeners, Booktubes maybe think they haven't come across that we should probably talk about at some point.
2: Email you know, email newsletters are an extremely throwbacky idea which has come round again. So maybe the next thing is gonna be like a live journal revival or something. Who knows? Or it'll be a completely different set of media that we haven't even invented yet.
0: Yes. I think that may uh, indeed be the thing. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0
1: license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.